Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration. This is Devin. And I'm Kyle. And uh, this is a supplemental episode to go along with last week's episode talking about the 62 ceremony of the Academy Awards. So we're looking at some other movies that came out in the 60-61 time frame <laughs> that were eligible for the competitive Oscars in 1962. Isn't that yeah. right? Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, good. And the first movie that we're going to talk about is Two Women by Vittorio De Sica, internationally distributed by MGM. Synopsis. In the Italy of World War II, a widow and her lonely daughter seek for distance between them and the horrors of war. I don't know why they have to say her daughter's lonely. Like, I don't really know what that's about, but... All right. You're right. That doesn't make sense. Why her daughter's not lonely. No, she's fine. She got like a weird heart thing, apparently, which is mentioned yeah. once. <laughs> <laughs> Comes back again, though. Does it? Well, I just feel like she was more affected by what happened because of her heart. Like, I thought she was going to die, honestly. Oh, okay. Well, spoiler. I thought she was dead. Okay. Uh, the film was based on a 1957 novel by Alberto Movaria. That's the end of the name. <laughs> Why? So I really sound like there's a third name coming. Why'd you say it like that? Because like the next sentence is there's like the, a the next sentence just coming out of your dome. Because <laughs> none of this is being read. Okay. Novel by Alberto Movario. La <laughs> The name of the book is La Cesaria. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce it. It translates to the woman from the name of that town that I can't say. Okay. Sicar Sicario. That's not it. Sicaria. <laughs> okay. Okay. It was inspired by Moravia's experience during World War II. Which, I mean, like, it sounds like it was more based on the experience of some women he knew <laughs> during World War II. But. Yeah. Um, originally, Sophia Loren was cast to play the daughter with Anna Magnani playing her mother. But when Magnani pulled out, Loren took over the role of the mother and they cast a younger girl to play her daughter since Loren was only 26 at the time. DeSica felt that although this differed from the novel, it lent, quote, greater poignancy since it was historically true that many young girls were raped during the war. That's a little bit of a spoiler. I usually let people know in case they're like, they've decided to like jump into this podcast on this supplemental episode, but uh, we spoil the movies we talk about. Yeah. That was your warning after the spoil. Okay. Uh, the producers of the film raised money from Italy and France to fund the film. French investment <laughs> was conditional upon a French star yeah, being used. I figured I knew where that was going as soon as you said it. Which led to the casting of Jean-Paul Belmondo. Belmondo's voice was dubbed into Italian. That was not him speaking Italian. Oh, that's funny. I was like, how the, how the hell did he use such a good Italian? Like, you know. Yeah, because back back in like the sixties, they were just like, it doesn't matter if you don't if you can't perform yeah. this role. Right, we're just gonna if dub you it. can't sing this role, if you don't speak this language, we're just gonna dub it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. What was the other movie this year that that happened? West Side Story. They were all dubbed. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It was uh, the war one, though. Oh, Guns of Navarone. Uh, Gregory Peck's, when he spoke Greek, it was dubbed. Yeah. But that was a small part. I mean, like, this entire thing, he's speaking Italian. Right. 
Well, apparently not. Well, no, someone else was. That has to be hard then. Yeah, that had to be like really annoying. Yeah. Especially like when you're on a set and like everyone else speaks Italian. Right, they're all speaking Italian. They're not <laughs> including being, the director. They're not being nice and throwing some French in there. He has no idea what they're saying about him. No, exactly. I mean, it's probably good things. Like, damn, this guy's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sophia Loren's on set. You're not the sexiest person there. <laughs> uh, in addition, That's so true. Why would anyone be talking about him? <laughs> they're like, are there other people around? <laughs> we didn't know. Uh, in addition to Sophie Loren's Oscar for the role, the first for a non-English speaking role, Loren won 22 international awards for this film, including Best Actress at the 1961 Cannes Film Festival. Cool. So, you know, kind of a high point in her career. For sure. Do you want to start talking about two of them or you want me to start? You can start. Well, this was your pick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. You still want me to start? Yeah. Okay. Well, it was your pick for our supplementals. In case for people who don't know, we have three supplementals and one that is like the agreed upon one that needs to be discussed. And then we each get to choose one. Yeah. This is the one that Kyle picked. Why did I pick it? Um, Because you like bicycle thieves? No, that's not. I picked it because you brought it up in the first in the episode leading into this episode i did i did talk I about it sounded interesting sophia loren yeah i thought um, it'd be like a cool movie to watch to see what you know because you said yeah exactly it's such a big historical point for the oscars i thought it'd be mm-hmm. kind of cool to include the movie absolutely uh so i didn't really know anything about this movie going into it and uh i really enjoyed it i mean as much like it's hard to say like i enjoyed this film because like ultimately it's a pretty rough sit but <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was really good. I think that Sophia Loren is really, really great in it. And I feel like the I feel like the ending is very powerful, but I also feel like it's the only thing that kind of like elevates the movie. Otherwise it's just kind of like a whatever movie where not a lot is happening. Sounds like Italian neorealism. <laughs> I mean, sure, that's true. But like, uh, I thought the ending was super, super powerful. And a lot of that was due to Sophia Loren's performance. And also uh, the girl who played her daughter, which I don't have her name handy if you have it pulled up. It is. It is Eleanor Brown. Yeah, I thought that both of that, their performances. Eleonora Brown. Eleonora Brown. That makes more sense. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, she's probably Italian. Sure. Uh, I thought their performances at the end definitely like uh, helped to make this movie what it was. Obviously, I think this is a movie that is like very much about the performances, for sure. Above all else, but I mean, I think like the story and capturing like a a lower class. I hate to use that phrase, but like mm-hmm. it's what it's discussed is like lower class people during wartime that weren't necessarily in the bigger cities or whatever else. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Well, and I think it also too, it shows a version of, you know, in with war movies, I feel like there's a lot of focus on like things that, especially like before women were fighting in wars, but like the things that men go through in wars. And I felt like this movie focusing on one, how it affects just everyday citizens who are having their, city you know invaded and bombed and specifically women i think that's important i think that that's not something that gets talked about too much because i mean like um 
I guess we already said we were going to spoil it, but at the end, Sophia Loren and her daughter get raped by um, allied troops once they've come in and kind of like... Yeah, from from where? From Morocco. Morocco, yeah. yeah. Um, is that right? Yeah, okay. it is. It is. So it's it is one of those things. Well, one because I mean, like in World War Two, obviously Italy was part of the Axis powers, but I think they like it's interesting that this came out like the same time, the same year. Well, I guess when did it come out? Yeah, the same year as Judgment at Nuremberg, which is kind of looking at the way that the German people uh, were how much actual like German civilians had to do with Nazis rising to power and blah, blah, blah. And like, this kind of looks at like not all Italians were supporting Mussolini not all Italians were, you know, they were suffering a lot too, regardless right, of what their right. government was doing. And, uh, and I think it's interesting that then, I mean, obviously this isn't an American film and I don't really think there's like any Americans in it, but, um, it's just interesting to show then like the like conquering heroes, quote unquote, of the allies coming in and supposedly like ending the war and whatever else. But then, you know, being pretty brutally violent to the people that they come across, right. which what is ba- is true. What it, I didn't write it down, but it's something like 60,000 women were raped. Yeah. Girls were raped by troops coming through Italy. I mean, that's yeah pretty bad. It's terrible. Yeah. And it's one of those things, like, I never, I didn't know about that. And I mean, like, maybe in Italy or in Europe, maybe, like, that history is taught. Because I feel like in America, we very much are just told, like, in World War II, we were heroes. The Allied powers were heroes. And, you know, fuck everybody else. That's the history we get taught. We won with a bomb. Right. So I think, I, I guess, like, my overall thing is that um, this movie is... I feel like it's uh, it's important and it's good performance and it's well shot. And that's what I have to say about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Now you talk. I mean, what is there to really add? <laughs> Honestly, I'm serious. Like, uh, so again, probably one of Sophia Loren's most famous roles. She won the Oscar for it. It's amazing to watch her perform. Um, oh, yeah, I do want to say one thing. Our subtitles were a little whack. Yeah, the subtitles were not correct. Watch it. If you do check out this movie, just make sure, you know, it, it feels like an Italian person who, who English is their second language or fourth yeah. did the subtitles for this movie. But uh, And there were some parts where, like, they were saying, like, colloquialisms, you know, where they're just, like, you know, like, phrases, like, sayings mm-hmm. that they clearly is not, like, wouldn't make sense to translate. translate. So well. they just didn't. Yeah. <laughs> they just are, like, saying things and there's, like, no subtitle. You're like, right. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... But yeah, no, I mean, yeah, pretty much just a movie about suffering from day-to-day life during the war, and then, you know, it ends in this in this tragic way of uh, rape and the loss of innocence, you know, and there's very little hold on to in this time. And then the one thing that does kind of bring hope to your day is uh, is destroyed in a way in front of your eyes. Man, it's tough. It is tough. It is because I mean, her whole the whole reason they like went through all that was she was trying to protect her daughter. Yeah, and then that happened. Right. It's not a it's not a light film. Certainly, don't be like you know it would be fun to watch a cute little Italian movie like. Yeah, it's not the one to start off with. No, so it's, uh, it's pretty sad. <laughs> <laughs> but good, and yeah, John Paul Belmondo is in it. Yeah, playing a little. 
what is he like a fresh off a yeah fresh off a breathless breathless rising star clearly france is like yo yeah france is like we'll only give you money audiences around the world love him right now that's it true only makes sense to capitalize off of him yeah have him make out with Sophia around for a little bit <laughs> exactly they're like we have sexy people you have sexy people let's do this let's let them be sexy together huh <laughs> that was i don't know what accent that was it wasn't french no it sure wasn't <laughs> all right but that's all i really have to say about this i would recommend it yeah i would too again and like it's not something i've heard of i feel like probably because this was the only oscar nomination that they got and then they won but i mean i feel like that's the only way people would know about it but i still think it's a little like under the radar so definitely check it out if you haven't um, so what other people thought about it, it has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 91% and a critic score of 88%, um, with a box office. For some reason, I only have the numbers for us and Canada and it was $3 million. So there you go. And like I said, at the Oscars, it's only nomination was for best actress, which it won. Next up, our universally agreed upon film that had to be discussed Breakfast at Tiffany's by Blake Edwards, produced by Paramount. Synopsis. A young New York socialite becomes interested in a young man who has moved into her apartment building, but her past threatens to get in the way. That is a horrible synopsis. <laughs> yeah. That's not at all what happens in this no, movie. I mean, at one point, her husband shows up for like two seconds as just a little bit like of expository. And I would like, say she was never interested in him until the last four minutes of the movie. Also, if we're being like accurate, right? She's like actively disinterested in him. <laughs> okay, we can get into that in a moment, though. All right, it was written by George Axelrod and based on Truman Capote's 1958 novella of the same name. Novella. What? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, Truman Capote hated Audrey Hepburn in the lead part. Capote biographer Gerald Clark deemed the film a valentine to free-spirited women rather than a cautionary tale about a little girl lost in the big city. Okay. Uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's has become the go-to film when discussing racist depictions of Asians in Hollywood films. Amen. Because of Mickey Rooney's depiction of Mr. You know, she, you know, I don't think I said that right. Uh, director black, <laughs> Director Blake Edwards has stated, quote, looking back, I wish I had never done it and I would give anything to be able to recast it. But uh, what did Mickey Rooney say? I'm not. Gonna, Mickey Rooney said some unfortunate things, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't really want to repeat during the movie and after the movie. Yeah, his his quote was that if anyone was offended, he forgives them. Oh, my God. Mickey. So, <sighs> yeah, the fuck. I mean, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It is, oh, man. And like I said, in the book, you know, what the bartender guy says to, to the narrator or whatever, he says like, you know, that guy from Japan and he goes, he's actually from San Diego. Like in the book, they make it clear that one, he's like American, just of Japanese right. descent. Right. And like go out of their way to be like. And also in the book, he's in like one scene. <laughs> There's no reason basically for the movie to do this. I want to know what Truman Capote felt like, like after seeing this. I know. Well, I mean, I don't know how he felt about the Mickey Rooney stuff. 
he didn't like Audrey Hepburn as Holly Golaley. Dang, who did he picture? Marilyn Monroe. Oh, that was really what he thought too? Yeah, he wanted Marilyn Monroe oh. and she was, they did like talk to her about it, but then this was at the time when she was working with Lee Strasberg and Lee Strasberg said that it would not be good for her image to play like quote unquote call girl. Mm. So she didn't take the part. Probably could have won an Oscar. No, I'm just kidding. I She's mean, terrible. Marilyn Monroe? As an actress? I don't think she's yes. terrible. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't. That's I don't fine. know if she would have been fine. good in Holly Golightly as Holly Golightly, but... What is she good in? I think she's good in a lot of things. I think she's really funny. I think she's, like, underrated as a comic actress, honestly. Okay. I mean, I've seen her in, like, Some Like It Hot. She was funny in that. She's terrible in that. Well, she was going through some stuff in Some Like It Hot, <laughs> you know? She had a rough life. Sure. And I do think that there is a difference in her acting from the early days to after she started working with Lee Strasberg as oh, okay. an acting coach. Okay. But she did The Misfits instead this year, which turned out to be her last movie. Right. Was that the one she had in the nude scene in? Was that the one with John Houston? Yeah, they shot it. Did we talk about this? I don't know. I don't think we've talked about The Misfits. We've talked about it. I don't think we've talked about it. Oh, okay. Podcast. Cool. Okay. Yeah, John Houston shot a nude scene for it and then took it out. It was very controversial for the time, obviously, and then took it out because he's like, it didn't really do, do anything to the movie. I just think that's kind of funny that like a sex icon yes. was featured nude in a Hollywood movie and John Houston's like, meh, lose it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean like good for him. It would have sold a lot more tickets if he would have right? left it no. in. I mean, yeah, he made a call. Like, No, I'm just saying like yeah. history, like if, you know what I mean? Like that's just something that would, you feel like, wow, that's surprising because of who she became iconically you know what i mean well she already was that person iconically at that point really do you know what i mean she's oh yeah a, she was an icon at that time yeah oh I she guess was I like i guess i don't know what it's like to grow up in that era with oh yeah like she was an icon like her entire career really i think the only reason that she like maintained that same level is because she died young got you it okay. never like waned like you know what i mean like you look at it's elizabeth sure. taylor or something and like she was considered like an icon and mm -hmm. blah, blah blah but then you know she got older she aged we like saw that she like went crazy for a little bit but like so it kind of like dips with marilyn monroe she like literally died gotcha. while she was still marilyn monroe got you interesting mm -hmm. so this has been a lot of talk about marilyn monroe when we're supposed to be talking about breakfast at tiffany yeah also mickey rooney yeah, uh, the Mickey Rooney stuff is definitely problematic. I wish that like someone would just like go in and because like honestly, you take out all the you don't need him. It's unnecessary. It adds nothing. So like just re-edit it without him, or just like edit and scenes the Japanese person. I don't know, but like no, well not doing the same things, but like <laughs> being around. Right. Um. Well, why don't you start talking about Breakfast at Tiffany? I already did. I, I started this whole conversation. Well, why don't you say more things besides Mickey Rooney? <laughs> oh, man. But that's the that's the part that sticks with me the most. Really? Yeah. It's, like, very upsetting. It is very upsetting. It's bad. Yeah. Like, every time, it's like you'd forget, and then, oh, another scene. So then when Devin, like, tells me, yeah, he's only in one scene in the book, it's just like, really, then? Because it's, like, every time, I just dreaded it and dreaded it. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the rest of the movie, though, if you can, if you can somehow set that aside... And honestly, we'll it's like 10% of the movie, honestly. Yeah, but it's a really rough 10. I agree. Uh, the rest of the movie is like pretty enjoyable. Um, nice little, oh, man, I already lost my cast list. Um, Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> no, the, uh, 
George. Martin Balsam, oh. who plays O.J. Berman. In oh, this yeah, movie, he's great. His, her agent is just like a huge highlight for me. Just like steals every scene he's in. Pauly Baby, you know, like. Fred Baby. Or Fred Baby. That's what it is. The name's Paul, right? Yeah. Fred Baby. Fred Baby. Like, honestly, just like, like things like that, just like, oh, just make this come to life, like come to life and just feel like the movie it's intended to be, the iconic movie it's intended to be. Um, I mean, obviously, like, you'll talk about Audrey Hepburn and take care of all of that. But uh, the the male star, what's his name? Uh, George Peppard. George Peppard? Sure. Peppard? George Peppard. I'm going to go with George Peppard. I don't think that's right, but okay. I like it better, though. Um, I haven't, like, I don't honestly recall ever seeing him in anything else. Thought he does a fine job here. Um, the story is so weird and airy and, like kind of delightful yet weird again. I'm just going to keep saying weird. It's just like a movie that feels like it knows what's up and it's kind of like trying to walk on eggshells around you, but like in such a delightful way. Do you know what I mean? Like if they said everything bluntly or didn't, it, this movie would not be interesting. It would not be interesting enough. The fact that it just kind of like, it's like this two hour kind of, impression of man I don't know what I'm trying to say you've all seen it so what's the point <laughs> but it's just like I don't know there's something fantastical about it that's just kind of wonderful highlight Moon River Yeah. when she sings Moon River on her little fire escape like that's not real no one's ever really doing that that's just like a good, it's just a great scene. It's a great song. And it's this lovely just like feature over this kind of lovely movie that's just about 10% racist. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Okay. I feel like I'm talking in circles. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's just weird to talk about. Obviously, it's a movie that's like everybody knows to some degree. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. Looks beautiful. Yeah. Why don't you talk about it since you love this movie so, so much and then I can just like okay. chime in. Um, well, yeah. So this is again going to be one of those like highly biased reviews from me because I would say Breakfast at Tiffany's is in my like top five favorite films of all time. And uh, so, I mean, and I, yeah, I understand like the stuff with Mickey Rooney, like ignoring that part. It's in my top five films of all time. Um, I mean, it's iconic. It's completely iconic. And I think that it's, it has, first of all, it has, it's based on great source material, which I would also say that the novella by Truman Capote is like one of my favorite books of all time. Which is better. Honestly, I think the book is better. And I think it's just because the movie, you know, a lot of people talk about like how different it is from the book, but I think those people have not read the book because it's follows the book very closely. Like you said, they kind of, they're more explicit in the book about sex and there's, you know, references to drug use in the book that they didn't put in the movie. But for the most part, it follows it pretty, pretty closely. And so that's why for me, the movie kind of stumbles because they, the one failing in this movie is that they forced it to be a love story, which it is not. And I think that because it it stays so close to the source material for the majority of the film, where Holly Golightly is this 
free spirit. She doesn't want to be tied down. She doesn't even want to buy furniture or name her cat. Like she's very like a certain kind of person. And that kind of person is not going to, you know, make out with her neighbor in the rain. And so I just think that by like, I just think the ending takes her character. And I think that like, honestly, the character created by Truman Capote, you know, come to life by Audrey Hepburn, like that character is what people respond to so strongly about this film and about this book. And so it's just kind of like, uh, cause like the ending just feels so false for who that character is. Right. Right. I like, I was saying to you, I was like, okay, they're making it on the rain, but I was like, you check back in in the two weeks and she's not with him anymore. Like, no, there's sure. no way that she just like, but I think that's changes kind of fundamentally. Like, I think that's like kind of implied, like with the context of like her character, like I think that is sort of implied, although for, I don't know, not a dumber, but like a, audience not looking for so much subtext i feel like it's, it's their happy ending but for anybody who like is really following along and understands or sees something in the story yeah i feel like it's more than obvious that they realize they don't end up together yeah and i feel like that's partly the reason too like this movie is probably one of the most iconic films of all time like the image of audrey hepburn as holly Golaly is like the yeah. most essential image of Audrey right. Hepburn. Someone's making money on that. Oh yeah, I was watching. I was watching this uh, Malaysian interior decorating reality show, and they were like decorating this bathroom, and they were like using, you know, like what is your life? <laughs> yeah, I know. But they were like using like the like reproduced image of like her as Holly Golightly that you can buy in like any Bed right. Bath and Beyond anywhere. Right. But like in Malaysia, that's what they were like right. decorating their homes with. So well, they like, did just get the movie over there. <laughs> I doubt it. And, um, so just, I was like, I just think that like that image is so iconic and I do sometimes question, I think that like, you know, there's people who are like, Oh, I love Audrey Hepburn. And they have like pictures of breakfast at Tiffany's who like maybe have never actually even seen breakfast at Tiffany's because I feel like that's definitely a thing. I was like one time in high school, I was like talking to this girl and she was talking, bringing up Marilyn Monroe again. And she was like, I love Marilyn Monroe. And I was like, Oh, me too. I was like, what's your favorite movie of hers? And she's like, I haven't seen any actually. I saw a lifetime movie like about her life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't talk to you anymore. <laughs> but anyway, I just think that there's maybe people that are a little bit that. But I think for the most part, what makes this movie so iconic and what is like people have latched onto for like generation after generation at this point is that like, especially in 1961, there are f- so few representations of a woman who like isn't looking to get married, yeah, isn't yeah. looking to settle down. It's just like, trying to have fun and live her life and like find who she well, is. She was trying to get married. Well, she was trying to get married, but not cause she was like, she just wanted money and security. No way. Everybody gets married. Well, okay. Fair. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I guess I'm she was kidding. more upfront about it, but right. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't this, traditional. She was, a, she was non-traditional in every way. She was non-traditional. And like, I think feel like other depictions of that woman, like, you know, I was talking about when we watched the hustler, um, Sarah played by Pepper Laurie in that film was kind of like the unglamorous version of Holly Golightly. But I feel like if you had a character like that in other movies in this era, then she was a sad character or she was like, you know, like, um, Paul's, uh, what do you call it? Like sponsor in this film. They were the, she's like a cold bitch or something. Like right. if there were women who weren't looking for like romantic love, then they're, 
or are broken or like whatever like then they're not they're not the main character or they're not portrayed right. as like what? something to aspire to whereas holly golightly is like hugely aspirational well then i feel like you're maybe maybe the book does a better job i feel like the movie totally sets her up as a sad character actually well i do think she's sad but i think that i mean yeah she's definitely sad but like, i still think but is that, that hollywood's fault or is that truman capote's writing that's what i'm saying i'm asking if she's less sad like in the book no, she's more sad in the book. Oh, she's even more sad. Okay. Well, yeah, her life is definitely like messed up and hard, but I'm just right. saying that like she still is like glamorous and beautiful and like people are obsessed with her and she like can anywhere she goes, she can like make her life. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Which is something that I feel like women are like, I want to be able to do that. Right. I feel like anyone would want to be able to do that. See, that's what I mean by aspirational, I guess. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean like, Again, I think kind of what you're saying is like when what I was trying to say before is like one of the reasons I think this movie is so good is because of the time it came out and again it it didn't want to be explicit about some of these things because again being a big Hollywood movie or whatever. So like again again I think what makes this movie is actually the subtleties of everything. Again, never exactly calling her an escort. Um, the end, whereas like I don't think it's a happy ending, but I think it's implied throughout if you're really paying attention that they will not be more than like they will not be anything more like what he wants will not happen right because she will do whatever she wants like she said she doesn't know who she is right now mm-hmm. well that's just i mean like her whole thing she just does stuff because she hasn't done it before exactly you know yeah because she is trying to like find herself and figure herself out and i just think i just think that that i mean i think every human being is like that they're trying to figure out who they are. And I just think this is the first female representation that we got in film, really. Yeah. The first, like, major one. Right. So I think that's really what it, what people respond to, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. Right. And But I have to, I have to, again, like, pound it in that I think it's, I think what makes it effective is it's, it's all on a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. Or, like, a little underlying, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's what's so it's not it's not just straight like if that movie was made today it would be so obvious about what it's trying to say yeah whereas i feel like because it was made in this you know in a different era completely that what makes its charm is the subtlety of the context yeah and i think that's also you though watching it with 2018 perspectives like i don't know how much like, you know, you're saying that, like, you think that it, like, is I, mean, I feel that like it was Easy Rider in 1961, <laughs> probably. You know what I mean, though? Yeah, but I'm just saying, I feel like most people who saw it in 1961 were like, oh, clearly they are really in love and they're going to spend the rest of their but, lives together. But I'm, what I'm saying is, like, I think that's what the studios are banking on. Yeah. I don't think that's the actual reality of, like, intelligent moviegoers. Sure. In 2018, though, is what I'm saying. No, I don't know if people in 1961 were like, that's all I'm saying. I think they were a little bit more hip than you're giving them credit for. I mean, maybe. Yeah. But again, not the average moviegoer. And I don't mean, sorry, I keep saying intelligent or like referring to dumb. I don't mean that. But like the average moviegoer who's just going for escapism, I don't think is going to see that. Right. But like. And I'm just saying more. when you take a movie like Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is like one of the most well-known films in America 
that's a lot of average moviegoers who are watching it. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. But that's what's great about it is what I'm saying <laughs> is it's doing multiple things without being like loud or like, you know, taking a 100% stance on something. Like, I don't know. It's Yeah. It's providing, it's doing what a great movie does and it's allowing conversation like this to happen rather than just being a straightforward for sure. Whatever. Love story. And I think also we have to talk about what people respond to. We have to talk about Where the we talk fashion. About oh, okay. I said Mickey Rourke. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, like part of why images of her as Harley Golightly are so common anywhere is because it is like one of the most iconic looks of all time. That like black Givenchy dress, pearls. That what? Givenchy. Okay. That was the designer of the dress. Gotcha. Um, it definitely like is a style brief. Do you know what I mean? Like now you can just like little black dress is like a thing. And I feel like this, I mean, it was before this movie too, but like, I just feel like now it's what people think of for that kind of style with the sunglasses and the hats and the dress. I mean, it's yeah. fantastic. And it helps right. obviously that Audrey Hepburn is like, for sure one of the most beautiful she's like a fashion illustration just came alive one of my favorite scenes where she's looking for those alligator shoes and she finds she finds one under the bed and the other one's like in a dish yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's great the look of it is great also helped put tiffany's back on the map as the go-to place i got a question how many dorks do you think have gone to tiffany's and had breakfast in front of those windows like you know that i did that you know that i did that (laughs) Yeah, I do. Those pictures are cool, though. You yeah, can't yeah. tell me that those pictures aren't cool. I will stipulate I was 18. <laughs> oh, you voted in the election right, right there. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Of course, it'd be cool. I would it do it. It was really cool. I would do it. And we went into Tiffany's. Yeah. My and dad you, bought me a necklace. And you bought a ser- uh, sterling silver phone dialer? No. No. My dad bought me a necklace with my initial on it. That's cute. I know. By the way, if you are looking for a sterling silver phone, still sterling, that's hard to say, <laughs> a sterling silver phone dialer, you can find them on eBay for around $300. So if you want to get a little something ni- like nice, 675 in the movie. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to get a little nice little Is that inflation? Is that just what? Right. Why wouldn't they just constantly sell that as like a knickknack though? Like, I mean, not like probably obviously real sterling silver, but like, yeah, you got to be able to go to like, Tiffany's and they and buy that. I'm sure you can. It's like a dumb joke. Well, I didn't see anything for that, though. Like, oh, that's what I was like, looking look for. At Tiffany's. I was looking for, like, gags, yeah. Well, I'm telling you, people don't actually watch the movie anymore. <laughs> that's true. I will say, you know the um, necklace that she looks at when they're in there and she says it's, like, the diamonds are, like, too much and she would be, it would be tacky for her to wear diamonds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That necklace is what she's wearing in all the posters for Brexit at Tiffany's. Is it really? Yeah, like, Tiffany's, Tiffany's obviously, like, opened up what with them not. filmed there and then, like. Nice. Yeah. I like that. We have a breakfast at Tiffany's poster in our bedroom. An Italian. An Italian. It's like this that, whole episode in one poster. Yeah. Because believe it or not, by Devin's pronunciation of things earlier, she is Italian heritage. I am a, an Italian American. Emphasis on the American. Yeah, a strong emphasis. I like did, American. <laughs> I did take a, an Italian class. But I had already taken like five years of Spanish. And so my Italian teacher told me I, to- I spoke Spitalian. Spitalian? What mm. grade did you get? I got an A. Oh, you must do really, you must speak Italian really well then. Yeah. I mean, good enough to pass the test, I guess. Yeah, good job. Thanks. That was just so long ago, I guess, then. 
It was. I was in college, so it was a long time ago. By the way, Devin just celebrated her birthday. Mm-hmm. We weren't going to discuss numbers. Literally yesterday. What? I said we're not going to discuss numbers. Oh, my God. You are not old. I'm not young, Kyle. You're 26 is not old. It'd be cool if I was 26, <laughs> wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be cool? I'm 29, guys. 29. They're all thinking, they're 29. I'm done listening to this. <laughs> what do they know about anything? What do they talk about? Oh, yeah. Melrose, iconic at the time. Just fan. Just wow. Everyone was just reveling in her fucking presence. That's true, though. I know. I mean, that's like common knowledge. I get it. But I'm just saying. That's why we update ourselves with current events for every year we do. Exactly. Because we weren't alive for any no. of them. Yeah. All right. Do you have anything else to say about the iconic Brexit Tiffany's? Yeah. Like Mickey Rooney really hurts this movie in my, in my, like what it could is. be like an easy, like eight or nine, I think drops it to like a seven. That's fair. Six. Maybe. I don't know. Like, it's not an easy watch because of this. I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't know. It is, it is super unfortunate that they felt the need to do that. Right. And again, it's like you forget because it's so unimportant to the story. Yeah. You forget that it's a thing and then they just keep, they hit it with you every about 20, 20 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That's all I got left to say. Yeah. No, I agree. It's unfortunate, but this is still a super iconic movie. I don't You guys have all seen, if, if you're listening to an Oscars podcast, you've probably, you've seen, probably seen Breakfast at Tiffany's. And you know what's wrong. Yeah. You know what we're talking about. What other people are talking about. It has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 91% and a critic score of 88%. Made $14 million at the box office. I believe that would include uh, re-releases, though. At the Oscars, it was nominated for Best Score and Best Song. Oh, sorry. At the Oscars, it won Best Score and Best Song and was also nominated for Best Actress, Best Screenplay, and Best Art Direction. Awesome. As for its legacy, the American Film Institute, on their list of the 100 Greatest Passions, a.k.a. Love Stories, it ranks at number 61. And on their lists of the greatest songs in movies, Moon River comes in at number four. Wow, that's awesome. And it was preserved in the National Film Registry in 2012. Wow. Okay. All right. Next up, we got another depressing Italian movie. We're talking La Dolce Vita by Federico Fellini. See, that's my Italian. Mm, That was good. Thanks. You do such good impressions. You're like Mickey Rooney of our time. (laughs) It's not racist for me to do an Italian accent. I know, I'm just... <laughs> I'm kidding, man. Italians are Caucasian. That's fine. That's true. There's not the checkbox that says, like, Caucasian, not Italian. <laughs> there probably was at one point. That's probably true. And they, like, circled it several <laughs> times. <laughs> All right. Synopsis. A series... <laughs> A series. <laughs> What's it about? It's about a series of stories following a week in the life of a philandering paparazzo journalist living in Rome. That's a super bad synopsis for a multitude of reasons. <laughs> why? Why is that? Um, well, one, I don't. While it is like broken up in like seven mornings and seven nights, I, it's not like one complete week. Yeah, you that's know. True. Yeah, yeah. 
And also, he's not a paparazzo because that word didn't exist before this movie, Kyle. Are you serious? Yes, that's one of my fun facts Shut for up. you. What? The it char- sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but I'm like really caught off guard right now. Yeah, the character of paparazzo, that was just the guy's name. His photographer friend was named paparazzo. Shut the fuck up. And it created the term that we still use for intrusive photographers. That's insane. I know. I thought he was just referring I to. I just thought I was like, group. it's so rude. He doesn't know their names. <laughs> right. Oh my god. But no, that was like the character's name, and then it became the term for photographers. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. I have another fun fact that I think you'll like. Cool. This is the first film that Roger Ebert wrote a review for in 1961 before he became a film critic in 1967. Okay, I was going to say, like, that does not match up years wise, but okay. Yeah, it was before he was okay. professional. Was it when film he was critic. at U of I? I don't know. Might have just been for funsies. I don't know. He consistently named it as his favorite film of all time. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I thought you'd like that. Kyle's a big Roger Ebert fan. Yeah, he's and he's a he obviously was a journalist. I mean, but I could see him doing like I think he did some reviews for the paper down at U of I. That could be. Yeah, because he I mean he was not writing movie reviews. Maybe he was filling in for somebody at the same time. But I don't think I don't know how those dates line up because he was he was doing. What am I doing? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. I think he was only at some time for five years before he became the movie critic. A few years before he became the movie critic. So. He also loved Steak and Shake. Every time they left Chicago, he had to stop at a Steak and Shake. There's an interesting fact for you. Are there Steak and Shakes other places than Rockford? What are you talking about? Yes. Oh. But it's like a, it's like a thing. They they had one in his uh, in Champaign. Ur- he stopped, Urbana. He he loved it. Um, cool. So this has been Roger Ebert Corner. <laughs> I love Roger. I was just talking about him the other day. How I like literally cried at work when I found out he died. Yeah. <laughs> it was a thing with um, it was a thing with Stanley because like when Stanley, so Stanley just died. I don't, you know, I don't know. This is this obviously coming out. coming out later, but yes. yeah, like Stanley announced just just like a month or two ago that he was stopping the Comic Con circuits, hmm. and then he died. And so I was like telling these kids, I was like, it reminds me of when on a Friday or it was a Thursday, I think. Roger Ebert was like, I'm stepping away from the paper. And then like four days later, he died. Wow. And it was like, do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. That sucks. Well, he was sick for a while though, right? Yeah. I mean, he served, like he beat cancer mm-hmm. and then it, and it came back. <sighs> Fuck. Sorry. Well, his favorite film, La Dolce Vita, <laughs> won the Palm d'Or at the 1960 Cannes Film Festival. Uh... And was nominated for two Academy Awards in 1962. Best Director and Best Costumes, Black and White, which it won. Right, right. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so what do you think of La Dolce Vita, Devin? I really, really, really loved it. And not just because of the fashion, but like mm-hmm. a lot because of the fashion. I'm so shallow. Superficial. I'm super superficial. And like if something's pretty, I'm like, it like just bumps it up a few points on how much I'm going to like it. Right. Um, but no, I thought that this movie was super interesting. You know, we kind of like, I was saying to you, we watched, we watched La Dolce Vita and then we watched Two Women. But I was like, it really would have made more sense for us to like flip that order because, you know, Two Women is looking at Italy during World War II. And La Dolce Vita is very much about like how it, Italy was like kind of their response to like post World War II and like coping with that sort of stuff. Do you know what I mean? So I felt like, 
it was interesting to watch both those movies, but it maybe would have been like more interesting to watch them in the correct order. But I just think it's such, I mean, uh, you're more the person who enjoys movies where not, where it's like plot light. (laughs) 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 But I really like enjoyed their like little, just these like little snippets of his life of him, Mm -hmm. like coming into contact with these different people and just these little like vignettes of experience. And there is, you know, like a through line of him kind of spiraling into a bad place. And like, I mean, it's not like he starts out as a good guy, but mm-hmm. I feel like you see through these things that there's like the potential for him to be a good guy. And then it's just like circumstances and also like his natural response to circumstances, which lead him to being the worst version of himself at the end of the film. But I just, I thought it was just, I mean, it's beautiful. It is like visually stunning. A, because Italy is beautiful. B, because everyone in it is beautiful. Mm -hmm. C, because like the clothes are so beautiful. Like I just can't stress that part enough. I guess you can't. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, I mean like it's definitely, you know, again, not like a, as much as I'm like, oh, it's so pretty. It's not like a light film. No, no, no. Don't be, again, don't be like, you know what? I just want to laugh and put this on because that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. But it's like brilliant. What'd you think, Kyle? Um. Oh, no. No. <laughs> don't tell me you didn't like it. No, I did not like it. Okay. No, no. I thought I was, I thought I was really, I think it's the type of movie that will like, grow on me with more viewings but like as far as the first viewing i was a little thrown off and like but this is like um poor research on my end like i went into it kind of fresh oh really i mean like i knew like, that, i didn't know anything about him right i knew it was like fellini and like you know what i mean like i knew like the like movie, scene, but, but yeah i didn't know the whole setup with like the different basically let's call them chapters or sequences mm-hmm. i didn't understand that. so there were like sequences i liked more than others but I feel like there's more to definitely dive into. Like this is a movie with a lot of substance and everything I think is there for a specific reason. But like overall at the end of the day, this movie's just super fucking cool. Yeah. Like it radiates cool in like such an awesome way. I can't say that about a lot of things. Like, this movie is cool without even, like, it seemed like it trying to be cool. And maybe it's just the fact that it's a 1960s movie from Italy. You know what I mean? That like, helps, yeah. there's a lot going for it as far as, like, aesthetics and, like, mm-hmm. um, but, I mean, to, yeah, like, I think, like, what you're saying, watch, watch a Jessica movie who has a very uh, grim look mm-hmm. um, on Italy at the time, really trying to represent the horrors of, of war and post-war Italy. And then you have, yeah, this, like, other side of Italy um the bigger city side we'll say too because mm-hmm. i'm sure they were living very different lives on the outskirts <laughs> but uh yeah. well technically in two women they started out in rome no no i know i know i know but um different classes is what i'm trying to say for sure sure you know what i mean like completely different classes but man it's just so cool like i was with it favorite sequence being the one with the american actress probably Yeah, Yeah, and then everything where the Italian actress popped up in, I just loved. But there was like certain things, like one of the last, like the last one with uh, like it's clearly like time has passed and 
the yeah where they like break into that guy's house yeah i don't know like that and then the whole the whole aristocrats party scene so like i loved that part oh really i really liked that okay so i don't know those two being at the end kind of like slowed the movie down for me but again like i really feel like this is a movie to process and i don't feel like this about you know a ton of things like i really want to see suspiria again the the 2018 luca guadagino movie because that's a movie i know i need to sit with a couple more times sure and then you know and then this movie so close to that one it's just like i i'm looking forward to certainly watching him again mm-hmm. i think you're definitely right as stylish as this movie is it's definitely st- still has so much substance as well. Yes. That that does need to be like was like, what movie did we just watch? The fucking spider movie. The girl in the spider's web. Yeah. That movie was like all style, no substance. Yeah, it was garbage. Yeah, where it's like, if you can have a ton of substance and be like, I'm all about substance. Yeah. I only want substance. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm fine with just style in certain instances. Oh, see, I'm not though. I'm not. I think, but I think when you can manage both. Yeah, obviously both is the. It's like, like goal. I mean, I'll take a lot. I'll take a lot of style and like a little bit of something. You're saying something. Girl with the spider's web thing was not saying anything. But like, look at like, say like Man from Uncle, the remake from a couple years ago. I mean, one of us enjoyed that movie. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that movie did not have a lot of substance, but it had so much style. That I'm pretty sure I named it in my top no, ten movies of that year. But what it had, though, hold on. If that movie took itself too seriously, it would have been a problem. The fact is that movie oh, was no, actually yeah. charming and kind of fun. That yes. that's why it also worked. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like um. Let me think of an example. Uh, Do you ever see The American with George Clooney? No. All style, no substance. You know, I mean, like yeah. it, it took its. I don't know, but that's just okay. Anyway, we're getting outside the point. Yeah, La Dolce Vita is fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Is what I need to say. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Highly recommend. Yes, yes, yes. Now, Devin. Yeah. Oh wait, there's probably more you want to say. Oh, you want me to tell you what other people thought of it? Yes. All right. Has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of ninety percent. Wow. And a critic score of ninety-seven percent. And at the U.S. box office, it made nineteen point five million dollars. Wow. I'm going to assume wow. that includes the releases. Still. As I said, at the Oscars, it was not, it won for Best Costumes Black and White and was nominated for Best Director. I get, we spoke in the last episode about how Federico Fellini was nominated for Best Director, and yet it was not nominated for Best Film or Best Foreign Language right. Film. which again says a lot about it. I mean, I didn't remember that, but that's awesome. I think that's really weird, honestly. Which, oh, what one, an Ingmar Bergman movie won Best Foreign Language Film that year? Through a Glass Darkly? Is that sound right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what won Best Foreign Language Film. Um, as far as its legacy... Which Devin pre-ordered me the uh, the, collect, the Criterion Collection release of Ingo Rigmar Cinema, so I'm, we're pretty excited about that. We'll I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, it's that limited edition Criterion release featuring, uh, what is it, 39, 39 of his... Oh, man, what is it? 39 of his unreleased movies? Never mind. I can't remember all the details. Wow. We'll see. <laughs> all right. No, sorry to interrupt. Uh, as far as its legacy on the Sight and Sounds list of the top 250 movies of all time, it is currently ranked at number 39. Wow. Pretty high. Yes, it is. Pretty, pretty high. Pretty, 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 pretty high. All right. Did you have a question to ask me? Yeah. I was going to say, like, how did you, do you feel that like any of these should have, like, jumped into the other? Yes. Okay. I do. 
Yeah. I think, um, honestly, I think both La Dolce Vita and Brexit Tiffany's should have been nominated for Best Picture. Okay. Uh, La Dolce Vita, because it's like... What would they have replaced, though, Devin? Guns of Navarone and Fanny. Okay. I would take those two out, put these two in. I think both these movies, honestly... I mean, do you hear people talking about Fanny? Because I don't. I don't hear people talking about that movie in 2018, but I definitely still hear people talking about Breakfast at Tiffany's and La Dolce Vita. Fair. So, as far as, like, you know, holding up over time, both those films have done a far better job than pretty much any of the movies that were nominated to be fair if we're just like going off of like most iconic movie of 1961 breakfast at tiffany's sure hands down sure if we're going for like mm, you know uh okay i would nominate both those movies for best picture but i think west side story still deserve to win best picture hmm. i'd swap one of them in for west side story honestly oh my god we're gonna <laughs> I didn't know. Didn't I pick West Side Story in our last episode? You did. Yeah. Okay. I'm just joking. <laughs> no, I think I would. I think I would fully agree with you on that statement at all. Like no one's talking about Guns of Navarone or Fanny. No. Except for us. Yeah. Exactly. We're probably <laughs> the only podcast. There's a lot of podcasts out there. Probably the only ones that talked about either of those movies ever. Yes. I mean, I can't really say. But well, you guys listen to all the podcasts and let us know. Yeah. Get back to us. How can they reach us, Devin? Uh, you can email us. At <laughs> for your pod at Gmail, FYR pod. Oh, FYR pod. Yeah. yeah, probably. Oh, wow. Oh, my you god, it's been so long. You know what? We we're, follow us on Instagram for your reconsideration. Yeah, definitely follow us on Instagram. We we're doing do lots of fun things content. over there. Yeah, Devin is it's doing fire. a lot of awesome stuff there. Fire content. <sighs> you're, tw- you're 29. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> I'm trying to sound younger. Don't they don't okay. need us to sound younger. All right. So wait, what was your thing? You would nominate those two? Sure. Yeah. And would you still, what would you have win? Still West Side? I mean, yeah, probably. Okay. You know what? No. I'm going to pick La Dolce Vita and not have any sort of racial fucking stereotypes or. That's true. There were also racial problems in West Side Story. You know what? Let's ignore Let's throw, in fact, let's throw Breakfast and Tiffany's and West Side Story out. So I guess we'll take. I'll still take Fanny. I really enjoyed that melodrama. And just get rid of... Guns of Navarone. Guns of Navarone. Fair. And give it to La Dolce. Okay. I will get that (laughs) sent over to the time machine and get right on it. (laughs) No. It was a good year, though. It It was was a a, very good year. It was a fun year year for watching movies. I will say, like, so far in the first two seasons of this podcast, the 60s are coming out strong for good movies. Amen. Amen. So, uh, yeah. So that was our supplemental episode. We'll be back next week with a regular episode discussing the movies from 1981 that were nominated for Best Writer. Woo woo. See you then. Bye.